warranted. The dark hair and eyes and delicate frame had made her an object of derision with the English schoolgirls remaining in Calcutta. But now, with the dark hair cropped short and the eyes enormous in her thin face, she looked elfin and, in spite of her illness, younger than her years. She put the kettle on to boil and leaned against the kitchen windowsill, pushing the casement out and peering into the garden below. She was not disappointed. The major, clippers in hand, patrolled the postage-stamp garden in his uniform of baggy grey cardigan and flannels, ready to pluck out any insubordinate sprig. He looked up and raised his clippers in salute. Jasmine mimed, "'Cup of tea?' When he nodded acceptance, she returned to the hob and moved carefully through the ritual of making tea. Jasmine carried the mugs out to the steps that led from her flat down to the garden. The major had the basement flat, and he considered the garden his territory. She and Duncan in the flat above hers were only privileged spectators. The planks of the top step grated against her bones as she eased into a sitting position. The major climbed the steps and sat beside her, accepting his cup with a grunt. Lovely day he said by way of thanks. Like to think it would last. He sipped his tea, making a small swishing sound through his moustache. You been keeping all right today? He glanced at her for a second only, his attention drawn back to the rioting daffodils and tulips. Yes, Jasmine answered, smiling, for the Major was a man of few words under the best of circumstances. Those brief comments were his equivalent of a monologue, and his usual query was the only reference he ever made to her illness. They drank in silence, the tea warming them as much as the late afternoon sun soaking into their skins, until Jasmine spoke. I don't think I've ever seen the garden look as lovely as it has this spring, Major. Is it just that I appreciate things more these days, or is it really more beautiful this year? Humph! he muttered into his cup, then cleared his throat for the difficult business of replying. Could be. Weather has been bonny enough. He frowned and ran his fingers over the tips of his clippers, checking for rust. Tulips are almost gone, though. The tulips wouldn't be allowed to linger past their prime. At the first fallen petal, the major would sever heads from stalks with a quick, merciful slash. Jasmine's mouth twitched at the thought. Too bad there was no one to perform such a service for her. She herself had failed in the final determination, whether from cowardice or courage, she couldn't say. And Meg... It had been too much to ask of Meg. She'd had no right to ask it of Meg. Jasmine wondered now how she had ever considered it. Meg had arrived today looking even more untended than usual, her wide brow rumpled with distress. It took all Jasmine's strength to convince Meg that she'd changed her mind, and all the while the irony of it taunted her. It was she who was dying, after all, yet it was Meg who needed reassurance measured out in palliative doses. She couldn't explain to Meg the reckoning she had reached somewhere between last night's sleeping and this morning's waking. 
She knew only that she had crossed some meridian in her swift progress toward death. The pain held no more terror for her. With acceptance came the ability to hold and savor each moment, as well as a strange new contentment. The sun dipped behind the square Victorian house across the garden, and its stone faded from gold to grey in an instant. The air felt chill against Jasmine's skin, and she heard the faint bustle of traffic from Roslyn Hill, evidence that life still eddied about her. The Major stood, his knees creaking. I'd best finish up. The late'll be gone soon. He reached down and hoisted Jasmine to her feet, as easily as if she'd been a sack of potting soil. In with you now. Mustn't catch a chill. Jasmine almost laughed at the absurdity of her catching a chill, as if an ex-